Now, I do have to remember in this session, because we have the lamp stand out so you can see it, not to wander over here and burn myself, you know. So I've got to pay attention here. We have talked in this last session about room number one in God's sanctuary called the holy place. Understanding that functions as a parable of, about Christ and His gospel and His church. We have seen that for a priest to come in here, he had to meet certain qualifications, nothing to do with education, but with consecration, oil, blood, and water, all picturing aspects of the work of the Lord Jesus uh, that he does for those who believe on him. And when we do, we're part of God's house. We have a right to gather together as Christians. And as 1 Corinthians 14.31 tells the men, you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all may be comforted. And so it's a reality that we can now be involved in the house of God in different gifts and callings and so on. But now that we have established that somewhat from the Word of God, understanding this is ministry to God now. Out here, sacrifice for people, for sins. In here, the priest always went into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God. So the first question we want to address now, before we look at what the ministry to God is, is how do they see the function? For you see, it is enclosed. This is the tent now. There is no windows or, or open ceiling. Uh, you would be in darkness if it wouldn't be for one source of light. And God designed in the tabernacle one lampstand, one source of light. And while out here it was natural light, it is not natural light in here. If they're going to draw, draw near to the table to minister to God, and function at the golden altar of incense, as we'll see later. They have to have light. They have to walk into light. So we want to look at what is called the lampstand. It was on the south side, as you saw a few minutes ago. It was over here. And it would be the one source of light. Now, God being God, it's no problem for Him to get light. Remember back in creation, let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1-2. He could have done that here. Let there be light, and zap, light shows up. I mean, His glory's in there, and so on. It's no problem for God to get light. But He went through an elaborate process in the holy place of description and construction, what will give light. And the reason He's going into this elaborate, detailed process, it, it's a parable, it's a picture of, well, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what gives you light today to serve God. So, so let, let's first look at the process, the picture. If you'll go to Exodus chapter 25, the historical record in Exodus chapter 25. And we'll come down to verse 31. Exodus 25 and verse 31. Here's the instructions from God about this lampstand. Verse 31, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops or buds, and his flowers shall be of the same. Now the first thing I want to say, most of you know I'm reading out of the King James Version. You heard the word candlestick. But you look at it, you say, I, I don't see candles here. I see oil-burning lamps, and indeed they were oil-burning lamps. And so some translations will call it the lampstand, and that is correct. But let's understand what's happening here. 
Sometimes what is used by people, the name sticks. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you are old enough to remember that when you wanted to keep your meat cold years ago, you had this insulated box, and you put big hunks of ice in it, called it an ice box, an ice box. Well, today you don't use big hunks of ice. Technology has come along, and you have refrigerators with copper pipes and Freon going through it. And if I go over to your house on a hot day, and I say, boy, I'd like a glass of water, I never heard anyone say yet, I'll go to the Freon box and get it. You say, refrig or ice box, because the generic name sticks. In the day when this was written, they used candles. Electricians still talk today of candle power. So it's not a mistranslation. It's just an article of speech here. Uh, the source that gave light and the name stuck. But technically, it did not operate by candles. It operated by oil-burning lights. Now, ha having said that little uh, technicality there, I'll take you back again to verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick or lampstand of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft, this is this part right here. It's a center stick, candlestick, shaft, or we're going to see it's a trunk. Because look what else. His shaft, his branches. Uh-oh, it has branches. Well, trees have branches, don't they? It has branches, and look what else it has. It has bowls, and they were bowls of almonds. That's represented right here. Here's the almonds. And it had a flowers, and it had knops or buds. That what is going to give light, God is going to design in the form of life. A tree in its full stage of life. It has a shaft or a trunk. It has branches. It has flowers. It had bowls of almonds, and it has buds. God, who could have given life any way he wanted, light any way he wanted, we're going to see if you're going to get light, it comes from something in the form of full life. That light comes from life. So the candlestick is in the form of a living tree. Now, having said that, there's more here. It's a parable. Look at verse 32. And six branches shall come out of the sides thereof. Three branches of the candlestick out of the one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Here's your stick or your shaft or your trunk. Out of one side, three branches. One, two, three. One, two, three. So you have six branches. We're going to do a little math today. It gets interesting. You've got six branches according to the Word of God. And you have the center shaft, the stick or, or, or the trunk. Now, having said that, uh, look at verse 33. Verse 33. Three bowls, that's those bowls, almond bowls, three bowls made like unto almonds, with a knop, that's a bud some of you will have, and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like unto almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower, so in the six branches that shall come out of the candlestick. So what you have in each branch, you have three bowls of almonds, with its three flowers, with its three buds. So you have a set of almonds, each has a flower and a bud, and repeated three times. Three, it said. So here's one set, here's the second set, here's the third set. So that one branch has, I'm going to call them entities, has nine entities. It has three bowls of almonds, it has three flowers, it has three buds. Three, three sets for each branch is what it said. So that one branch now has uh, nine pieces, isn't the best word, nine entities to it. But how many branches were there? 
Six branches. So let's do a little math. If each branch has nine entities to it, nine times six is 54. So at least considering the branches, we have 54 entities on this one source of light, the lampstand. But we can't forget about the center stick, the shaft, which would function as a trunk. So look at the next verse here, uh, uh, verse 34. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like into almonds with their knops or buds and their flowers. Verse 35 will tell you the placement. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. So in relationship to where these sticks would come in, verse 35 is showing you the relationship of where they connect to the uh, shaft. But again, verse 34, the, the, this trunk itself has four sets. So it's going to be taller, just like you see here. It's going to be higher, because it doesn't have three sets. It has four sets of three. So if it has four sets of three, uh, the bowl of almonds, the flower, and the uh, bud, uh, four times three is? Now we have 12 entities. So with the branches, you have 54. With the shaft stick itself, you have 12. 54 and 12 are 66. Do you know anything else that has 66 connected with it that gives us light today? Uh huh. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. The entrance of thy word giveth light. People tell me today, details don't matter in the house of God. I beg your pardon. I'm sure glad they mattered then. Moses was to make it according to the pattern. Look here, if you would, at verse 40. Now, uh, verse 40, the purpose was to give light. Look at verse 37. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. When it comes to the house of God, there's a pattern. And he followed that pattern. And it has 66 entities with it. And it will point us to the blessed Word of God long before the Word of God was ever complete. And now it has 66 books. Now if you take the shaft with its 12 and take one side with its three branches, 9 times 3 is 27 plus 12 is 39. Guess how many books the Old Testament has? 39. The final three branches, 9 times 3 is 27. It has 27 books. And so we have a picture of the Word of God here. Now also we have these oil-burning lamps that sat in the candlestick. And there's seven of them. The three six branches held them, as well as the shaft itself. And the energy that made them burn was the oil, was the oil. And so you have seven oil-burning lamps, but you only have six branches, six branches. And so you have a six connected with this and a seven connected with it. Now, we were talking about numbers last night. Seven is whose number in the Bible? God's. He rested on the seventh day after he created. Number of perfection, completion. So there's a number often associated with the Lord, and it has that number on this candlestick, seven lamps. But man also has a number. You know what man's number is? Six, because he was created on day number six. There's six branches. So it has something to do with man's number, six, and it has something to do with God's number and the seven lamps and so on. And so what gives light is in the form of full light. Now having said that, it was only a picture. 
What is the one source of light that God expects you to function by today? Well, let's go to John chapter 1. New Testament, now the reality in Jesus Christ our Lord. Gospel of John chapter 1. Start you with verse 1, John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Didn't, didn't, wasn't created in the beginning. It was in the It was. And the Word was God. The same verse 2 was in the beginning with God. Didn't catch up later. It was in the beginning. Verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now we see our, the Creator's name before He became a man was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and all things were made by Him. He's God. You know what a Word is? A, a Word gives you understanding. Somebody's thinking something, you'll say, I don't have any idea what they're thinking. Then they open their mouth. You say, oh, I know what they're thinking. A Word reveals, a Word gives light. It gives expression to the unseen heart, thought of the heart. And we're going to see the eternal Lord Jesus uh, has become a man and gives expression to God the Father. That's what he does. He's the creator. But look, look what it says in verse 4. John 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He just didn't get life like you and I. In him was life. He's, he's the creator. He, he is life. But the life is the light of men. So that from Jesus Christ, who is life, comes light. See God's lampstand? It's in the form of life. He didn't make it in something else. He made it in the form not of a diamond, but a living tree. And it gives light. So that light comes from life. Picturing the Lord Jesus. <coughs> uh, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, let me take you to that famous verse in verse 14. John 1 and verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. That word dwelt is tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The Lord Jesus is God. That's the seven. But He became a what? A man. That's the six. Seven and six in one thing. The eternal God, the Creator, was made flesh. He became a sixth. And we beheld His glory. You know what He did? Well, look, look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus in verse 18. Verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. What's God like? No man has seen God at any time. If you're going to tell me what God's like, uh, apart from the Lord Jesus, you're guessing. How do you know there's a heaven? How do you know there's a hell? How do you know about creation? Were you there to scientifically observe it? No, you weren't. But while no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared or revealed Him. The reason we have light today, the Lord Jesus has come. The living Word, and He has given us His Word, which we now have as the written Word. And so I have light in the one source of light, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need him plus philosophy plus psychology. No, no, no. He, there was only one source of light, the one lampstand. Pure gold 
It was made out of pure gold. And he is the one source of light. He declares him. How do I know there's a heaven? I've never seen it. I'll tell you how I know. In my father's house are many mansions, the word said. But we're not so, I would have told you so. I know it because he has come and told us he's been there. How do I know there's a hell? I don't want to believe there's an everlasting flames. How do I know first there's a hell? The rich man also died, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. Luke 16, 23. I know these things absolutely. Like if we would turn the lights out and make it pitch dark in here, and I would take my laser pointer and hide it somewhere, and I say, go find it. I trip over those little things out of this, the floor. I'd run into that. I have no idea how I find it. But if I turn the lights on, you come and you say, here it is. I say, you can't be so sure. What do you mean I can't be so sure? Right here it is. I know for sure. When you're in the light, you can know things for sure. And he has come and he has told us about God and the necessity to be saved. If you die in your sins, where I go, you cannot come. You see, God has come to earth and he's living, but he's light. And then he's given us his word, the Bible, in 66 books. God has expressed himself to man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, go back to verse 4, if you would, of John 1. Something interesting here. John 1 and verse 4. says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Watch that order carefully. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Did you notice the source of light is life? It doesn't say the light is the life of men. It says the light is or excuse me, in verse 4, it says the life was the light of men. That light comes from life. Look at the ancient picture. Where is the light coming from? Something in the form of life. So that if you want light, it has to come from life. And the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal life. Let me show you another verse. Go to John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Look at verse 12 here. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You won't be in darkness. You'll, you'll see. You'll know God. You'll know truth. And you'll have the light of life. Once again, light comes from life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So it's only one source. God made it simple. Seven and six and pure gold and Points to the Bible, and what a picture God has given us. You know, oftentimes in our zeal to win the unsaved who are still in darkness, you know what we try to give them? We try to get them to see the light. We'll argue this and debate this, and they'll say, I don't see it. They don't see it. They're blinded. They're in darkness. And we think if we can educate them and, and just give them all the facts, and not to say there's not a time to answer questions, but, but the, all they have to do is see the light. Not what the picture says. They need life. And once they have life, once they have Christ, guess what's going to happen? They'll see the light. The light of life. You get Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. When the living Lord saves you and comes into your heart, I want to tell you the lights come on. Let me show you another verse on this. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4, please. Paul's exhorting the Christians not to live like the Gentile world. And uh, he'll say this in verse 17. 
Ephesians 4 and verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. They walk in the emptiness of futility. They guess at this. They say, I think we got here by evolution. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. But it's the vanity of their mind. Look at the problem, verse 18. Having the understanding darkened. Their understanding is darkened. They might be experts in math and calculus, but the understanding of God is darkened. You say, I know what they need. They need light. Not first. Look at the rest of the verse, verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. They don't have the life of God, and once they have the life of God, the Spirit comes in and they'll begin to see. It happened close to here in Camp Horizon. I've told this story before. I was teaching CIT classes, some of you remember way back when, and a fellow named Bob came in, and Bob was a college kid, and he said, I was saved two weeks ago. I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And he says, now I've sat here a little bit, and I, I want to be baptized. I want to obey him in water baptism to show I really mean it. And uh, uh, the only place in Camp Horizon to baptize is that little lake there with alligators in it. And uh, uh, He asked me to baptize him. It was the shortest baptism I ever did. But, uh, and you Florida girls, maybe some of your older sisters or aunts, they stood there with their little hair clips while I was in there going like that. You know, It wasn't a good picture. But uh, anyway, here's what Bob told me. Bob says, Randy, I was skilled in evolution. I could have out-debated you in one. I didn't argue that. He says, since I trusted Christ, I don't believe a word of it. What happened? The light came on. He had life, and suddenly he understood God. You've had that happen to you. Suddenly the Bible comes alive. You see, we need to point them to Christ, and the light will come. The simple picture of the tabernacle, the light is Jesus Christ and His Word. And when they receive Him, they'll begin to understand, not everything overnight, but they'll begin to understand that light comes from life. That's all a picture of Christ in the Bible. It's the one source of light. You do not need anything else to serve God. All Scripture, given my inspiration of God. Man of God may be perfect, you know, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy 3. And so may we be confident in the one source of light, the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Now, having said that, having said that, there was some priestly ministry to maintain this light. This was to be a forever light. It was never to go out when the tabernacle was up. 3 a.m. in the morning, it's to burn. 2.15 in the morning, it's to burn. 4.20 in the afternoon, it's a forever light when the tabernacle was up. Now, for that to happen, it required priestly ministry. If we could move Aaron just a bit closer to the lampstand. Thank you. So what I'd like to do now is to show you some of the service that happened in there, the priestly ministry to maintain the light of the lampstand so that God's people can function. So I'd like you to go to Leviticus chapter 24. The book of Leviticus chapter 24. And now we're moving Aaron next to the lampstand for some of his ministry in here, his priestly ministry, was to maintain the lampstand so that it would burn. Well... Now we're speaking of the ministry that happened in here. We've looked at the one source of light, but now there's this high priestly ministry of Aaron here to maintain that. So you look at Leviticus 24 and verse 1. Leviticus 24 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil olive, 
beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. They're to burn continually. They're going to need oil in them. That's the source of strength. That's the source of power, the catalyst, okay? Well, look at verse 3. Verse 3. Without the veil of the testimony and the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from evening unto the morning. Before the Lord continually, it shall be a statute forever in your generation. Verse 4. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. So in the evening, he would order the lamps so they wouldn't go out during the night. In the morning, he would order the lamps so they'd be on all day. So they'd burn before the Lord continually. Now, to order these lamps required at least two things. You've got to pour the oil in, don't you? Got to get the, that's the energy. Get, you ever see an oil-burning lamp? You've got to trim the wick, don't you? Get the soot and the dirt off, or it won't burn brightly. So that he had a priestly ministry of pouring in the oil and trimming the wick, ordering the lamps before the Lord continually. Some might say, well, sounds good. But you see all these tents out here? They're never going to see it because they're not a lot in here. Only the priests were. And so it's not going to help many people. And you see, at 3 a.m. in the morning, even the priests aren't in here. They're sleeping. So why waste this oil? Why have this thing burning when it doesn't help anybody? Did you notice who it's for? Look at it again. Look at verse 3. Without the veil of the testimony and the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order from evening unto the morning before the Lord continually. Look at verse 4. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. God lived here. And so it was for God's pleasure. Whatever he took in with these colors and the gold and the silver that we haven't even gotten into. Okay. Uh, but whatever the glories appointed to Jesus Christ, his beloved son, whatever he had pleasure in, it was burning for him, not for man. Did you know not everything in the church is for you? You say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't like that music. I didn't like it. It doesn't matter. You make melody in your heart unto the Lord when you sing. He has to like it, not you. You say, well, that's not my kind of music. Is it his kind when you're praising his son? Melody in your heart unto the Lord, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 teach and so on. And so we've we got to get away from thinking it's for, what happens in here is for the Lord. Is, is he worth it? It's ministry unto me. And sometimes if it's not helping the hurting or preaching the gospel, we'll say, you're dead. Wait, be careful when you say that. You know, here they were, shut in a little 30 piece of real estate in the holy place. Big things happening in planet Earth. And here priestly ministry happened, shut out from the world before the Lord. Christians get together, shut out from the world, but you can accomplish the ministry of God in a world that does not. Don't let anyone intimidate you out of that. It's precious to God. I know I've told this story before, but there's a few here that haven't heard it, that sometimes we look at this, we'll say, that's a waste of time. There's bigger issues out there. The highest ministry there is is ministry to the Lord. And the illustration I use is my dear dad, who's still living at 97, though he has some type of Alzheimer's. He, uh, some of you heard me tell you that he grew up during the Depression, you know, back in the 1929, you know, he was there. And uh, that's when you, you know, you, you didn't know if you were going to eat. You saved everything. But better times came along, and he lived with my wife and I for about 20 years in New York. And uh, uh, it wasn't quite the same, but he didn't even, you know, he just lived with us. But he didn't like me leaving the lights of my office and the house on. He'd follow me, turning them off. I'd come back to the dark room, you know. I'd say... Uh, 
uh, uh, you know, Dad, I like my lights on. Boy, you're wasting money. I said, it's not your money. You don't pay the bills. It's the principle, boy. It's the principle. You just don't waste. And he would do stuff like that. And we'd come home to a dark house. My, my wife, Sylvia, thought she, she had to figure it out. We don't want to come home to a dark house. So she bought these little switches that puts the light on a timer. And at 9 o'clock at night, on it comes. And poor Dad, he couldn't figure out how to regulate that switch. But it took him one week to figure out if he got on his knees and pulled the plug, it'll never come on. And we'd come out to pull plugs, you know, come home to pull plugs. Mary Beth, who kind of kept an eye on him at that stage, uh, she affectionately called him the Prince of Darkness. He's now in a little Alzheimer's unit. And I went to visit him a while back, and he no longer had his cane. He had this walker. I said, I, I didn't know he needed a walker. Well, technically he doesn't. But he walked into some lady's room and turned out her light. She yelled at him, picked up his cane. We had to take it away. <laughs> and then I go out to see my daughter in Port Oregon now, Mary Beth, who's now paying her own bills out there. And uh, I left the light on. She said, Dad, turn the light on. I learned from Grandpa. Turn it off. She says, you're wasting it. <laughs> so, people see that as a waste. But, you know, that mentality carries into the church of God. And we look at, well, well, nobody's getting saved and hurting. Yeah, there's a place for that. I understand there's a place for that. But God has this so you can get here and go deeper and, and, and draw near to this table, as we'll see in a minute, and minister to the heart of God. And the light is not being wasted. It reveals glory to God. Now, we've learned that the Lord Jesus is the light of the world, but he's not here today. Hmm. Well, is there light in the world? Let me take you to Revelation chapter 1, the reality. The book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1. And you're going to see what his lampstand is today. Revelation chapter 1. He ascended into heaven. He's no longer in the world. We have his word, though. But Revelation chapter 1. And as we go there, this is written to the seven churches. And John hears this voice speaking to him. John the Apostle hears this voice speaking to him. And usually when you hear a voice, you turn around and say, I wonder who's speaking. That's what happened. Look here at verse 11. Revelation 1 and verse 11. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, and Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, unto Laodicea. Christ addressing the churches. John wants to see who's speaking. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Yeah. Or lampstands. They were each on their own base, but there were seven of them. He saw seven lamps, and they bear light. They were gold. So he sees lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, he looks a little closer, and look at the next verse, verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, or lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps or chest with a golden girdle or belt. His head was like hair, uh, his head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was in the sun, shineth in his strength. He sees Christ in the midst. But he doesn't see the baby Jesus in Mary's arms. He doesn't see the teacher Jesus. The world kind of likes a baby. Some people can tolerate the baby Jesus. You know why that's so nice? 
Babies don't hurt you, do they? You know, babies don't pick your pocket or gossip about you when you leave. Worst they can do is throw up on you, okay? And so everybody loves a baby. But he doesn't see a baby. He doesn't see that. He sees the glorified Christ in all his heavenly priestly glory. As God's judge, a sword coming out of his mouth, shining, and he's in the midst of these seven lampstands. Now, if he's in the midst of them, and the high priest now is the Lord Jesus, not Aaron, and he's in heaven. This is just a picture. If he's in the midst of them, who will the light show off? It'll show off the one in the middle. And suddenly you learn the calling of the church is to reveal the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I say the church? Well, verse 20 is why I say the church. Look at Revelation 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Only a metaphoric picture. The candlesticks, the oil-burning lamps on a stand were the seven churches. So now you get the calling of the church. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, Ephesians 3.21. In a world that doesn't, we lift up the praises to God. We, we lift up his son and we tell forth his word. In a world that doesn't, what that must mean to the heart of God. And just like ancient Aaron would order the lampstand so they would burn continually, you know what you see the risen Lord Jesus doing in Revelation? He's doing what the ancient Aaron did. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that hath holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The living Lord Jesus walks in the middle of his churches, the midst of his churches. And if you read it carefully, and we're not going to take the time to do it, he's ordering the lamps. Sometimes he will trim the wick, and he'll say, Repent, not to the sinner, but to the church five times. You need to turn from this, because if we're involved in wrong doctrine, wrong attitudes, or sin, we're not bringing forth the light of the Lord Jesus, are we? Not to the world, nor to God the Father. And those things have to be corrected. So at times he will say, repent. He's getting rid of the soot. He's walking in the churches. You want to walk where Jesus walks? You won't find him at sports stadiums, not to say there's no saved Christian athletes. You won't find him at White Houses, not to say there's no saved politicians. But he, his passion is the churches. You be involved in the churches, you'll be involved where he is. It's his lampstand on earth today. And he's maintaining it. And he also pours in the oil. Look how he does it. To every one of these churches, he says this phrase here. Look at it in Revelation 2 and verse 7. Revelation 2, 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He does not say, he that hath an eye, look around. Oh, look how they do it over there. That would work here. I feel this would be. No, it doesn't matter what you feel. Use your ear to what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's the oil, the Spirit of God revealing the Word of God. What He wrote to these churches, they were to write it, and the Spirit would reveal it. You tune your ear to Him and do it His way, and you'll illuminate the glories of the Lord Jesus and please the heart of the Father. He's ordering the lampstands today. His source of light today is the churches. Yes, we go forth, but there's an inreach that we lift them up to the Lord, and that's what this holy place pictures the ministry of the high priest picturing the Lord Jesus of maintaining the brightness of the light. Now that's all I'm going to say in this particular series 
uh, about the lampstand. The one source of light to function in here and that's priestly ministry to maintain it, speaking of Christ, His Word, and the living ministry of Christ today amongst the churches through His Word. Uh, may God give you good understanding and make these things a priority as they're revealed here in picture form. Now, what I would like to do in our final minutes before the 6 o'clock supper is take you to this table of showbread. So we're going to do just a bit of shifting while we go back to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24. Once they have light now, we're going to move to the table of showbread. Leviticus chapter 24, please. The reason my wife's doing it is because I'm a klutz, and if I do it, I knock the thing over, so we're using the most gifted here. <laughs> Amen, brother. This might help some of you see it better. Others might have an issue. We've already learned that the priest in ministry to God, as they came into this holy place, God said in Ezekiel 44, they shall draw near to my table and minister to me. Now that they have light to function by, and that light is maintained, what will they do as they walk in the light? Well, they're going to draw near to a table not to help people, but to minister to God. This is what we want to get a hold of as we go for the gold. On this table were 12 loaves of bread, one representing each tribe of Israel, six on one row and six on another row. Whether they went up or this way, I'm not sure, but there were two rows of six loaves of bread. Also, Exodus 25 and Numbers 28.7 teaches there were flagons or pitchers and cups that held strong wine. Strong wine, according to uh, Numbers 28.7, that was poured out as a drink offering on different occasions inside this holy place. So there was strong wine for a drink offering, as well as loaves of bread. So that is the major things that sat on this golden table of showbread, uh, or display bread. Now, something happened here. And I, that's why I have you in Leviticus chapter 24 to see what the priestly ministry in the holy place. For the priest came in here to accomplish the service of God, we learn. So we look at verse 5. Leviticus 24 and verse 5. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. So there's your six in a row, uh, two, 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 rows. Verse 7, and thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row. So it's going to be sprinkled with frankincense. It'll have a, a scent to it. That it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. Now, just like the light was to be continual, there was all to be, to be continual bread on here. Uh, it is, and did you notice who it's for initially? Before the Lord. You know, you look here, brothers and sisters and friends, and you, you see Israel and, you know, a lot of people to feed. 
But this bread is not for the common person. This bread isn't for the homeless. There's a way to do that, okay? This, this was to set six days, and nobody would take a bite out of it for six days. It was before the Lord. It, it was a memorial that would speak. Well, somebody did say, I am the bread of life. Jesus Christ is Son. I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. It, it was a memorial to God, and so it pleased the Lord. Now, it sat there before the Lord for six days, but because it had to be continual, you would imagine it might start to get stale after six days, and they were to put brand new loaves on on the Sabbath. So there were always loaves on this table. When they exchanged the loaves, the priest would come in. They'd put six new ones on each side, making a total of 12. You know what they would do with the older bread? <laughs> Look at verse 9. Verse 9. And it shall be Aaron and his sons, that's the priesthood, they shall eat it in the holy place. It is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute. So they would take the bread that had been there six days that God enjoyed, and then his priest on the one day a week, which was the seventh day then, on one day a week, the priest would eat the bread. And at times there would be a drink offering of strong wine poured out. Well, what's that all about at the table? Well, they were eating at the same table God enjoyed. Man and God were eating the same food, the bread of memorial, one day a week. Huh? Isn't that something? You know, when you eat together with somebody, it's fellowship. You have people over for dinner? Yeah, you want to feed them. But you want to have fellowship with them, don't you? A young man asks a young lady out to dinner. Do you think all he's interested in is her stomach? If that was the case, he could buy her McDonald's coupons and mail them to her. You know, she could go get herself a hamburger. He wants to get to know her. wants to fellowship with her. That's what eating does. The Lord Jesus knocks at the door, he tells the church. And if you hear his voice, he'll come in and supper, eat with you, and you with him. And so we have the, this points us somewhere. We get to the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians 10, we read of the Lord's table. It's in the context of fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read of the Lord's supper. You know what we're told? Well, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, believers are told, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you just show the Lord's death till he comes. And so we come together as believers. And the early church did it upon the first day of the week, one day a week, Acts 20, verse 7. That's how they did it. And so they came together, and they would eat the bread, uh, which is a picture of the body and death of the Lord Jesus, and drink the cup uh, of wine or fruit of the vine, a picture of the blood of Christ. You know what 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says? The cup which we bless, is it not the communion or fellowship of the blood of Christ? The, the bread which we break, is it not the communion or fellowship of the body of Christ? We're showing fellowship that we agree with one another, we agree with God, and man and God eat at the same table. That's called ministry to God. I know it's not feeding the world. I know, but it is ministering to God that you are enjoying what God enjoys, His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus, who gave His body for you. I want to tell you it pleases the Lord. Did you notice something here in Leviticus 24? Who was to eat it? Aaron and his son. It was only for the males of Aaron's tribe, Levi, the priest. If you were a woman back then, I don't care what tribe you were born in, if you were a woman, you'd never taste this bread. You'd never taste it. Because it was only for the males. And it was only for selected males. But now that Christ has died and we're all priests, every brother, every brother in the Lord can eat this bread and every sister can. 
It's an exercise of your priesthood. When you come to the, we take it for granted. Every time you take this bread and eat it, you're showing that you're a New Testament priest. Something you could not do, and I could not do if I wasn't from the clergy tribe. I couldn't touch it. It's only for a selected few. Now we have fellowship with God, and it pleases God's heart that we are enjoying what He enjoys, Jesus Christ, His Son, and our Lord. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you to show the Lord's death till He come. Having said that, we'll move this table back to its north side position. We saw the lampstand speaking of the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, and now His Word through the churches. One source of light, priestly ministry to maintain it. We've seen in that light they will draw near here and they will fellowship with the Lord. A bread of memorial. And we're to break that bread in remembrance of Him. It's a bread of memorial, the Lord's Supper. It's taking us in picture form to higher ground. But let me close before I open up to the brothers for comments and questions. Let me close with a little verse in 1 John 1, 7. It tells the believers, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Most scripture verses are tying this model together. You walk in the light, and as you come to the light and do what it says, confess your sins and that, you have fellowship with God and with each other, drawing near to God. On the basis of what happened at the cross, the blood of Christ has cleansed you from all sin. May God give you good understanding. First of all, if you're not saved, you don't start here. You don't start in the church. And say, well, I'll come to the Lord's Supper, I'll pray, I'll give. No, no, no. You start where God starts. Take your place as a sinner. Lay your hands, as we learned last night, on the sacrifice saying Christ had to die for my sins. It's my fault. And trust the one who shed his blood that had to go through that awful death because of our horrible sin. And you'll find out you'll be saved. That through this man, Jesus Christ is preaching to you the forgiveness of sins. Acts 13, 38. But once you're saved, then realize what He's done. He's made you presentable through the water. He wants you to go for the gold, to be involved in the church and draw near to God to minister unto Him because you're a priest and you'll please Him. But having said that, you say, well, I guess that's it. No, that's, there's still tomorrow. We're going to go closer. The golden altar of incense. Uh, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. The high priest actually went in here one day a year, got this close. What's that all about? And then finally, we're also going to see tomorrow, uh, we're going to reenact the Day of Atonement tomorrow morning after we talk about the golden altar. And then we're going to see that every believer can now go in here at night and about all these colors and coverings, but that's tomorrow, Lord Lord. Before our supper time here, I see about eight minutes on the clock. Let me open it up to the assembly, the men of the assembly. Uh, any comments or questions? Or why it's referred to in the masculine gender. Uh, Exodus 26. I'm just going to look at it again here. Yes, uh, Exodus 25, 21. It uses the word his, doesn't it? What goes through your mind why it might do that? Who is it picturing? Christ, who became a man. I think, I think that's intentional. Best I can think of. The Lord Jesus was a man. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, anybody want to add to that? Yes? Uh, the question was, does each branch represent the church? 
as we progressed uh, in this, we saw, and here's a little difference in Revelation, we, we saw seven candlesticks, didn't we? And uh, they were the seven churches. That's it. The, the, the candlesticks are the seven churches, okay, are the churches. But here's the difference. There is a difference. This candlestick was a unit of one. It was, it was once one piece, as he just read, one beaten work of gold, and it had six branches coming out of the shaft. So I could pick it up here if I dare. I'm not getting tripped. No, I got the coughs. Uh, it's, it's, it's one unit. The seven lampstands in Revelation are, and I wish I could picture it for you, and I can't. Each one's on its own base. One here, one here, one here, one here, one here, one here. And the Lord Jesus is in the midst of one like the Son of Man in all his glory. So you don't have one unit in the seven lampstands in Revelation, but you do have seven lampstands, okay? So they don't have branches to them because they're all stands. There's seven of these. If you can make the branches disappear and just look at that, you have seven. And the beautiful teaching is here. Local churches are to do the same thing, but they're not in some earthly organization connected together. Each one answers directly to the Lord. So that what happens in this local church, uh, uh, somebody from a church 10 miles down the road can't come and say, we made a different decision. No, uh, we look to the Lord Jesus. And so each, the churches are each on its independent base, but they're all to be doing the same thing by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So in Revelation, it's seven candlesticks, not one candlestick with six branches. The branches have disappeared. But the concept's right, what you're saying, that, that we are the light bearer. And so we're each the stick. And the difference is Israel was one nation under God. They were one nation. So they had one holy city, Jerusalem. But in the church, is the only church in the world in Jerusalem? I come from New York, believe it or not, they're there. <laughs> Christian churches there in Miami. And, you know, I've been in uh, other countries, Singapore and the old country and China. And they're there. And so they're viewed as each one function as a light giver, but they're not looked as a branch of an organizational unit. They're looked at as a lampstand. You know who they're to listen to? Not the other churches. He that hath an ear, let him listen, hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Revelation 2.7. I, I, I didn't get into that, but thanks for asking that. There's a similarity, but there's a keen distinction on how God views the churches in relation to the lampstand. What remains the same is seven lamps. What is different each church is a stand, not an amalgam, not a unit of one. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, it has been brought up the church at Ephesus. The Lord says to it, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. First of all, remember we said he not only poured in the oil and said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Pointing to the Spirit of God, the oil speaks of. He trimmed the wick. He would say some things are wrong. In this case, it was attitude. They left, their they left their first love. I had the privilege, my wife and I, to tour Ephesus a few years ago, the very city he's writing to. And, and in that city, there's a lot of remains still there, part of the library, part of Main Street. And as we're going down a portion of the street, uh, the uh, guides, we notice these sockets on the four corners of these slabs of pavement and then a little hole in the middle. And we said, what's that? And the guy says, well... What they did, they had lampstands in Ephesus, and they would anchor the lampstand in the middle socket and anchor to the, or place it in the middle socket and then anchor to those four things you see on the edge. And when the activity was over, whether it was a parade or something, they would remove that lampstand and go to a different part of the city. 
Notice what the Lord told this church here in uh, Revelation, in Ephesians. I'm sorry. Uh, Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus. We've had verse 4 brought before us. But here you see, if they didn't repent, if they didn't deal with the problem here in Revelation chapter 2, as I get there, he says here, verse 5, Remember therefore when once thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. They didn't know exactly what he meant. The testimony, the light that was given in that area. You know, for hundreds of years there was no Christian church in Ephesus. I know a few who are working over there. There's been a bit of a revival. It, the testimony, the light was removed because they left their first love. The, probably the easiest analogy I can think, brother, is if you take the marriage relationship and remember the honeymoon in the first year, you know, you do everything for anybody, her, and, and then the children come and job pressures. And sometimes you have to renew those things, don't you? And you start to leave that zeal and, and passion you had for each other. And I think that's what it means here to leave your first love. We still have the motions. They still examined people, and they still did this and that. But they did not have that love and that burning zeal. And he says, you, lose, you leave that, and you can lose the whole testimony thing. And it happened in history. Somebody can add to that, but that's my understanding of that. Anybody else? Yes. The, he asked, why did I stress strong wine? Because in Numbers 28.7, let me read it to you. In the King James, it will say strong wine. I know I have some Spanish people here today. Your translation will say strong wine. I think the King James will say strong drink. But anyway, or, or the best wine, but you go to uh, Numbers 28. And the reason I was stressing it is to give the biblical quotation. Numbers 28. And my memory serves me right, and it might not. Verse 7, yep, verse 7. And the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hen for one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause a strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. Unto the Lord for a strong wine. Now the reason I stressed it, at the Lord's Supper today, we not only have bread, we have wine or the fruit of the vine. So I wanted to show that both were on this table, and God has a spiritual table today that has both in remembrance of memorial of his son. Uh, I simply stress it to quote it and to show that both elements were there. Not, not to stress it that you should go out and drink strong wine tonight. It was done in the holy place. <laughs> I think our time is up then, and I'm going to call... Oh, yes. Strong line loses its kick, we mean, or savor? I know about the salt and the savor. I, I'm really not an expert on the strong line. I, I'm sorry. I don't know. Somebody knows. <laughs> okay, Brother Tim. And we have two more sessions tomorrow, but he'll give you the closing announcements. Lord willing.